is the Morning Press from Cast Iron Brains, a BrainIron.com production. Here's 11 minutes or less of news for today, Thursday, November 30th, 2023. Henry Kissinger died yesterday at his home in Connecticut. He was 100 years old. A German-born Jew, Kissinger's family fled Nazi Germany in 1938 and ended up in Manhattan, where he attended high school and City College of New York, before being drafted into the U.S. Army in 1943. After the war, he attended Harvard, where he earned his undergraduate, master's, and Ph.D. degrees by 1954 after supporting Nelson Rockefeller's failed bids for the Republican presidential nomination throughout the 60s. He offered his support to the newly elected Nixon administration and served as Secretary of State and National Security Advisor to Presidents Nixon and Ford. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1973 and is among the most well-known and divisive figures in modern American history, a practitioner of realpolitik to the extreme, his seeming lack of idealism or ideology or any moral reflection on his policies and all that they wrought, horrifies his critics on the left, many of whom believe he should have been prosecuted as a war criminal. On the more paranoid ends of the American political spectrum, he was often lumped in with all manner of globalist conspiracy theories. Kissinger's nationalist pragmatism, an approach to the world as it is, rather than as some might hope it to be, is what earned him the enduring respect and admiration of what we might now derisively refer to as the blob, but is really just the fairly mainstream American establishment. George W. Bush appointed him to chair the 9-11 Commission, Hillary Clinton was an avowed admirer, and the Obama administration honored him in 2016 with a celebration and award for his years of distinguished public service. Kissinger was among a small number of Americans who personally embodied American foreign policy as a concept, for better and worse. Israel announced early Thursday morning that the temporary pause in fighting would continue for another day after Hamas agreed to release another group of hostages. Ninety-seven hostages have been released over the past week, though Israel has indicated that there are still more than 140 people being held captive in Gaza, including two dozen women and children. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken arrived in Israel early Thursday morning and met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, reportedly as part of a Biden administration push to extend the pause in fighting and otherwise exert diplomatic pressure on how the military campaign will be waged moving forward. Netanyahu has said that the aim of the war is to rid Gaza of Hamas and its influence and that fighting will resume when Hamas stops returning hostages. A U.S.-based attorney who has led a Sikh separatist and secession movement in India was the target of an assassination plot hatched by people inside the Indian government, the U.S. Department of Justice revealed in an indictment on Wednesday. An Indian national was charged after he attempted to hire an undercover agent posing as a hitman to carry out the murder for $100,000. Back in September, Canada accused the Indian government of being involved in the assassination of another Sikh separatist, a Canadian citizen named Hardeep Singh Nijar. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his government have faced criticism for how they have treated their sizable Muslim minority population, both in rhetoric and action. A headline in the Washington Post this morning reads as follows. Rare lobster found in Maine is two genders and two colors. The online sensation has been named Bowie by fans after rocker David Bowie. 
The lobster is two-toned, split down the middle, with one side bright blue and the other side red. The blue side is male and the red side is female, though, if cooked, lobster experts say it would turn red and delicious all over. The lobster is a rare biological anomaly, and there is no indication that this lobster, nor any other lobster in recorded history, possesses an idea of itself in the world, that it has a self-conception, nor that it could know anything at all. Any attempt to construct a lobster epistemology would be constrained by inescapable human notions of consciousness and rely almost entirely on metaphor, while the lobster itself continues to be subject to the unsilenceable thrum of its evolutionary inheritance, to consume and to maintain and to endure. Subject to the thrum, but somehow not a subject itself. The word sex does not appear in the Washington Post write-up of this story. The Wall Street Journal reported Wednesday that suicides in the United States reached a record high last year, with older men at highest risk, while suicide rates among younger demographics have declined. The rate of 14.3 deaths per 100,000 people is the highest recorded in the United States since 1941, with many experts blaming the isolation, ill health, and loss of friends and family brought on by the pandemic for the surge. Men, who are twice as likely to own a gun as women, are four times as likely as women to die by suicide, despite research that shows that women are more likely to experience suicidal thoughts and ideation. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline can be reached by texting or dialing 988 on any phone. On this date in history, November 30th, 1942, the New York Times reported on what would become the second most deadly single building fire in U.S. history. The Coconut Grove Fire in Boston, Massachusetts, on the evening of November 28, 1942, resulted in the deaths of 492 people, the majority of which were killed because exits became blocked as people panicked in their attempt to escape the blaze. The Times blamed a 16-year-old busboy for lighting the match that then ignited an artificial palm tree, with flames spreading quickly through multiple floors of the building, but subsequent investigation cleared him of blame. The story of why the busboy needed to light a match goes as follows. A young soldier had unscrewed a light bulb in a lamp in a corner of the nightclub to allow for better canoodling with his date. The busboy was instructed to screw the light bulb back in, but in order to see what he was doing, needed to light a match. An hour later, nearly 500 people were dead. Some died so quickly of exposure to the smoke that they were found sitting upright at their tables with drinks still in their hands, while the vast majority died in heaps of bodies piled up against various exit doors. The fire safety laws and building codes that Boston adopted in the aftermath of the disaster, including rules banning inward swinging exit doors, the mandating of regular doors directly next to revolving doors, and outlawing the chaining or bolting of emergency exits, became the model for similar laws and regulations put in place by the federal government. One final note from the Times write-up of the story. Many in the club were there following the conclusion of a college football game played at Fenway Park, where Holy Cross defeated Boston College. Quote, Holy Cross had defeated Boston College in a sensational upset, and football fans adjourned to the club to celebrate the victory or temper the defeat. End quote.
The Times did not provide the final score, perhaps so as not to rub salt in the wounds. Boston College, which came in undefeated and looked to book a trip to the Sugar Bowl with a chance to earn a national title, lost to Holy Cross 55-12. to Holy Cross came into the rivalry game with a mediocre 4-4-1 and record. Apparently, when it comes to rivalry games or massive structure fires on that day in 1942, you can throw the record books right out. Now, here's a look at the weather. Social media was nearly united last night in its celebration of the death of Henry Kissinger. The instinct to express joy at the demise of someone you hate is understandable, though also rather distasteful, given even the least amount of distance and time for thought. This was a person, a unique consciousness, that experienced the world and reacted to it in ways that were both inevitable and entirely inaccessible, probably nearly as inaccessible to his own self as to the rest of us. Perhaps there are few humans as deserving of all the collective hate expressed towards him as the now, finally, late Henry Kissinger, and perhaps the collective expression of that hate will have a formative impact on a young, up-and-coming future master of the universe, preventing some future amoral monster from rising to power, pre-shamed by all this social opprobrium though that seems unlikely. The curdled joy expressed at the demise of any other human being strikes me, here, as always dehumanizing to the person expressing it, a sort of final, brutalizing victory won by the target of your disdain. We are all made smaller by it, though perhaps that's the point, that in death the objects of our hatred are brought back to human scale, reduced to so much dead weight as we are all consigned to carry around. But where does it get us? Where are we left? After the clever one-liners or the just-right movie clip that sums up, in some painfully performative way, the hate we feel, like we are virtuous just for having felt it, Hate, for all its superficial utility, is a rather poor vehicle for understanding, and usually communicates a lack of it. Hate is a way of feigning knowing. Perhaps we are here to grieve instead. That's the weather from here. How's it look out your window? The Morning Press is a production of the BrainIron.com multinational media empire. Please direct comments and complaints to BrainIronPodcast at gmail.com or visit the website at BrainIron.com. Thanks, and barring the sudden onset of the inevitable, we'll talk to you tomorrow. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.